In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit sift.com slash assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. So that's a good uh, transition. We, we about 10, 15 minutes ago, I said, I want to go through two veins. And one of them is the reluctance to attack the policy. And and we've kind of covered that now. And I think you've given a really good explanation of some of the internal stakeholder questions and things like that. I want to transition into the technical details here as much as, as we can in a short amount of time. Some of the policies that you've seen that are problematic before we get to who's changing them. And we've covered that, but what would just, if you could give me maybe three of the policies that you see or three examples that you have of, there was this policy, it caused this problem, made this change, got this result. Um, Sure. So I just need to pick the right three. Uh, I think- Go for it. um, I got got time. I got time. (laughs) I think we'll edit uh, out the pause. <laughs> I think that I would start with uh, refunds, like, and, and more specifically, I not return, uh, I not received claims. Um, the reason for that is that it's relatively simplistic. Someone is saying they never got their package, and there's only one question: Do do we believe them or not? So it started with um, sometimes a no question asked return, then a refund. Sometimes it's like, okay, what do we see here? And the next evolution, which is good, but not enough, is that people use the rule approach, meaning, you know what? I now have like machine learning-based insights, but I'm going to apply rules on those. It's good. It's a great start. For example, um, I don't want to allow... and and identity with, I don't know, more than three accounts and more than four items received claims at a value of more than 50% of what they bought in my store, get additional refunds. By the way, also there, there's like a question, okay, so what do you want to do about it? Do you only want to deny future claims? Because you can do that. This is not a chargeback. This is between you and the customer. Um, Or... You're saying, I, this is an, an, an unprofitable customer. I don't want them to buy in my store anymore. Or there's like different types of thresholds. When do you want to prevent them from buying again? And when do you just want to start denying claims? So this is uh, the, 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 where it starts. And unfortunately for some, this is where it ends. But I think that the merchants who, who, who utilize really smart solutions understand that there's more to get from machine learning. And that's like mm. a bottom context and a pattern context. So let's say I've submitted an item at received claim. Let's say I bought, I always use this example, I bought socks and a watch, an expensive watch. Now I'm saying I never got my, my watch 
or I'm saying I never got my socks. So the, you can't really say that, okay, this is an item of received claim or a missing item claim. There's a big difference in, in, in that type of hierarchy. Right. So I think this is also where, where abuse-centered machine learning models come into play and understand the context of what's happening, the pattern of what's happening. I mentioned like fresh accounts, fresh emails. So this person, we haven't seen them before, but now they're doing this. Does that make sense or not? Um, and so, so this is, I think, what, what are the type of rules I see around refunds? Okay. Um, so another case of policies, it could be a very simplistic one, but it's harder to, to kind of enforce. Let's talk about launches. There could be like a sneaker drop and Air Jordan 1s. We don't talk about Yeezys anymore, but Air Jordan 1s or like any type of like limited edition sneaker. And you know, these could be like concert tickets. Um, or like game consoles, anything that like has huge demand and limited supplies. So here you have people deploying bots, really sophisticated, like reseller bots. And you can go online and YouTube and, and learn how to use them. It's funny because these bots, it's illegal to use them, but it's legal to, to build and provide them to people. So it's, right. it's really, it's really interesting. So you really understand what what bots you have, how to deploy them, how do they circumvent policies. So here there's a really simple policy. I want that, I want each customer to buy only one ticket or one shoe. But unless you have something that looks at it from a business perspective and identity level, and not just only look at bots and velocity and things like that, it's really hard to enforce. So again, the, the policy here remains the same policy. This is an item limit policy. I want each one to get like one each. And I don't want to have a truckload of sneakers going to the same address only to realize, <laughs> oh, that's probably off. Um, um, and Was it, I, is that kind of what happened with the whole Taylor Swift tickets debacle? I, I'm not really into <laughs> pop culture, but uh, is, is that kind of what was going on there where people are just hoarding these really valuable things to themselves through online magic? So I, I don't want to go into, into details, um, but okay. um, I think it's safe to say that whenever there's limited uh, supplies and there's like a secondary market to these things, you probably have bad actors. You probably have people trying to, and, and you don't have to look at Taylor Swift. I mean, there's a World Cup. I'm sure that there were, there were challenges around the tickets to, to the games as well. Again, that's an ancient problem, but now people can do it at scale. So right. where the and, and you know you've been in, in the fraud industry long enough. When there's gains, there will be people to to exploit them. them. Yes, yeah. and get them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and and I think one of the more like nuanced problem is is around returns. With returns, uh, this is the biggest evolution in terms of how merchants look at it. Um, there, because it's just, it has so many different options. Um, now, do you want to look at systematic returns, like people just returning a lot? Do you want to try to understand if these are wardrobers? Like maybe they wore, wore an item and they returned it. Do you want to look at empty boxes mm -hmm. and scams and maybe they're 
like manipulating the tracking ID and you never get those. And where do you want to apply fiction? Where can you apply fiction? And you know what? This may, this may not even be what with the serial returner, this may cost merchants tons of money. And again, we see that the, the return volume in general is scaling at an, an alarming rate. And, and you know, with the cost of, of, of return logistics and the cost of putting something back on the shelf is estimated as like almost two thirds of, of the cost of an item just to get this return logistics and, and like filtering and everything. And the amount of customer uh, of, of goods, the, the estimation is like 25% of goods aren't even restockable. So it, I may be a very naive customer and I just have like unprofitable patterns and I'm costing merchants a lot of money on buying things and returning them, buying things and returning them. I'm not trying to do anything bad. So mm -hmm. again, should I look at that person as the same way as the, the person who returned me, who returned an empty box? Probably not. So then again, I don't think we have enough time for me to elaborate on all the different things we see merchants doing, mm -hmm. but there's an evolution to it. To it. And, and, and you have to remember, you don't have to have everything perfect in day one. You need to start, you need to start hack away to, to like hack away at the problem and, and gradually understand more, reveal more, look at new patterns and, and, and get more and more um, optimization. And I mentioned there's no ground truth and you would be surprised. We see like definite people abusing a lot, some, several of them are our merchants and we detected that and we prevented that from happening again. And then they had the audacity to reach out to customer service and scream, why am I not getting my refund? How can that be? This is the first time I'm buying at your store. And you can clearly see the pattern there. It's so hard if you don't provide that type of truth to customer service to even know what to do in that type of situation. Right. It's very naive to think that if you apply the right feature to the right people, then they're just going to leave you alone. It's interesting that you see that they don't uh, use INR chargebacks, if they have like an INR claim and there are abusers and you do the right thing by denying them, they won't file a chargeback because that exposes them in front of the back that it's not scalable. Mm -hmm. But as, as far as like customer service, it's a challenge. You need that right. smoking gun. It's really hard. Yeah. It's, and, and as we said, coming full circle with that, the customer service, the KPI is angry person, calm them down, get them happy and get them off the phone as quickly as possible. So if they're not armed with the knowledge of this is someone that our systems have flagged, then they're going to do their job and, and it becomes problematic on the back end. So I want to, I want to dive in here towards the end. I think we've talked a lot about internal policies. So I want to make sure that we discuss just just for a couple minutes for everyone to truly understand what the solutions role in in this whole ecosystem is obviously at the start of the fraud prevention industry it was very transaction it was solely transaction focused you were looking at orders coming in deciding if they were fraud kind of sending them yes or no either way um now this is like serious analytics inside of an organization that you're talking about, because it's post-transaction when you already have, have made that yes, no decision, and now you're making additional fraud decisions. So just take me through, uh, other than the high level of obviously 
the solutions are ingesting more data, but kind of what, what, what is the solution doing for merchants? How does that fit into that ecosystem to help them make those decisions and maybe feed those policymakers within the company that are going to say, change this policy, do this, do that, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's a, it's a two-part like answer. The first one is, in, again, on the scale level. And I told you, I, I, what we do is we provide them with the capability of knowing who to trust and when. And they can see it in a, like a sub-second response, knowing exactly whether or not to provide a refund or not, to approve a promo code or not, to grant a person with a limited item or not. So first of all, it's about knowing what to do in the moment of truth. And I don't think that's all that different from the transactional insight that or decisions that we had up until this point. Um, it is very different in the fact that this is across the entire customer journey, pre-order, like even in, in, in account logging, and all the way through post-fulfillment. So it just expands and becomes far more granular. Then, as I mentioned, this is far more than a, a solution or like a tool because you're basically partnering with a merchant to help them grasp the reality using this new vision, this new ability to, to look at customers and understand them better. So, when you have that, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. You look at things, and I think the, the, the merchants that, were, that we collaborate with in the best way are going through a constant learning experience. We are seeing these type of risky patterns and risky products and, 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 and all type of insights that we see from your day-to-day -day across and, and things that we see across the merchant network. We recommend you do this now. We recommend that you do that. And I know that there's some that believe that this is something that a merchant should just play with, like tweak it to the left, tweak it to the right. I don't think this is a question of like changing a policy every day. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made and a lot of data to go on. I don't think that, again, the, the goal is to eliminate the, the guesswork. So I think um, I'm hoping that this kind of answered um, the that part of the question. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do have one question, very, very technical. Do you sure. recommend that a fraud analyst make these decisions the way that we would traditionally do with chargebacks? Or do you recommend that these types of things get automated completely, given the logistical challenges of restocking? And what does that just look like at that most technical level? I, I At the end of the day, I believe that there the beauty is the right, finding the right balance. Definitely, the scale of the problem should be automation, automated. And the vast majority of decisions could be automated. But on top of automation, I don't think that partnering with merchants on such a sensitive topic shouldn't be all about automation. It should be about like using that to provide them with the, the right insights and the right way to track decisions. And you know, we find that again with, uh, with let's talk about luxury goods and, and like resellers. Someone can say, you know, I don't want someone to buy all these like luxury bags. But you know, what if this is a celebrity? 
oh, oh, so that's okay. And how do you differentiate this? Uh, we don't want someone to buying all this type of, of, of limited goods, but what if this is a, a company buying it as gifts for their employees? Then, oh, that, that's okay. And clever of a solution, and the, the, no matter how clever a solution you have, you always want to have the ability to interact with it and understand when it comes to knowing your customers better. And you know what, with this, I also want to say that we're talking about like prevention, 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 and this is like a big challenge. But at the end of the day, if I go back to the, the coffee shop story, I think that what we're trying to have here is create that type of intimacy, create that type of understanding of who are you dealing with. And I think that, there, there, that while policy is very common, because a lot of merchants just made it way too easy. Hey, it is what it is. It, it just became so easy. A five-year-old could do it. I mean, once you know how to open an account on, on Gmail, you can probably be an abuser. So now I think that if we provide the right solutions to the market, it's not just about stopping the bad ones. By knowing who's bad, you also know who's good. And if up until now, merchants are in the dilemma that they have to have a one-size-fits-all policy based on certain assumptions, and they are suffering, they can, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll start charging for returns. And that's across the board. Or maybe it's free, across the board. Now, what they can do, they, they can tailor the policy to the, to, the, to the exact specific person. And that means two things. Yeah, you stop abusers. That's what you started with. But what about providing better service and better policies to the good ones? I think if we do a good enough job in solving this like, huge challenge, this is a, a great, like, th there's a lot of great things their loyal customers like us should be expecting. Because when you know who to trust, you can offer them more. You have that type of intimacy. So I, I, you can call me an idealist, I know, but I, I think that there dreamer. are, <laughs> yeah, you, you, there, there is the, the other side of the coin. So, um, well, I, I think that's a great place to leave it. I have so many more questions, but I, I know our time, uh, our time here is coming to a close. You have to come back because there's so many, we have a whole nother podcast about the business implications of this, like you just started to allude to and just the industry model and where the industry is going in terms of the services that it provides customers and the value that it's delivering beyond the traditional yes, no chargeback um, answer. So I, I really hope you'll be able to come back sometime in the near future because I'd really love to have that that conversation with you because I know it's a very hot topic right now and and this is definitely right in the center of that storm. So um, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been great. I'll, I'll let you uh, sign off, let everyone know where they can find you and Riskified on the web. And then hopefully we can have you back and, uh, and do this again. This was great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. So tell everyone where they can find you and then uh, we'll, we'll sign off. Um, so um, I think that if you have any questions um, or, con or concerns about policy, you're more than happy to like, welcome to reach out to us at riskify.com and we'll, be, we'll get back to you and try to help uh, solve your fraud and abuse problems. All right. Thank you so much, Ayala. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for having me, Bradley.